0: This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Get a $50 credit towards your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist. Vanta, compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. And Modloft, the only modern furniture brand that offers elite design, fair prices, and delivery in days, not months. See why founders, venture capitalists, and celebrities choose Modloft. Get 15% off and free shipping at modloft.com slash twist. Hey,
1: everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. And I'm really excited about today's episode because it brings together a lot of the topics we've been talking about on this very podcast for the last decade. As we all know, private companies have been staying private for a long time. And my friend Bill Gurley was saying, hey, maybe companies are staying private too long airbnb may have missed their window going public and then you had uber which took 10 years uh, ultimately maybe worth it or maybe there's some criticism that the retail investors didn't have a big enough lift then you have my other bestie chamath doing spacs for virgin galactic and spacs becoming very popular special uh, purpose vehicles uh, acquisition uh, companies and reverse mergers then Retail investors getting involved in the stock market again. We never thought we'd see that. I invested in a little company that wanted to make uh, stocks um, freely tradable with no commissions called Robinhood. And now that company's got over 10 million users and retail investors have gotten involved in the market. Now, layer on top of that, the battle for getting off of carbon, perhaps the most important battle of our lifetime, Uh, the biggest existential crisis, if you ask anybody, is global warming, or maybe China and communism taking over the planet. Mm, It's kind of a toss up for me. These are things that we certainly should worry about. And the phenomenal success of Tesla. Uh, The founder of Nikola Motors is with us today. They are a company that went, that was private for about five years, I believe. And they went public through a SPAC, and they have a massive number of retail investors who are speculating on the company as uh, one does when they buy a company pre-launch. This is a company that has not launched their products yet, so of course they've gotten that criticism. Should a company go public if the product is not out yet? The last time we saw that was the dot-com boom, right? And I've got some scar tissue from that. So welcome to the proger, uh, program, Trevor Milton. The um, Now, you're the the founder and chair, executive chair, correct, of Niccolo, and you had your friend um, and colleague take over the president CEO slot, correct? Yep. Yep. Well, thanks for having me. So you heard my little preamble, you've had a heck of a ride. And so there's many different places to start with the story of Nicola. But, you know, I'd like to start with um, what is the product that you are trying to create in the world or products? And why is that important to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it has been a, a pretty, cr- a pretty crazy, incredible ride getting here. We we were pu- we were private for um, you know for a few years, and a lot of people ask, you know, why'd you go public? Well, mainly it was because of WeWork. Once WeWork came around, they kind of there was a big glass house. The cracks started coming, the whole thing fell down overnight, and you know they wanted to they wanted to see our entire business model. When investor prior to WeWork, investors would come in and invest a lot of money, and it was you know, just should sell them on the vision that they'd, they'd hire McKinsey to analyze your business and that'd get the sign off and they'd make the investment. Once WeWork came along, ultimately the next question was, what makes you not the next We work? So the, the discussion totally changed and it became a problem. So we wanted to uh we wanted to show everyone when you know when you go public, you you show them everything. You they get to see your books, the money, every contract, every related party the transaction. They get to see everything. And ultimately what that did is it brought a lot of confidence to the investors around Nikla. So what is Nikola? We are a zero-emission, OE original equipment manufacturer building very big zero-emission semi-trucks. But I would tell everyone we're not really just a truck builder. We're actually a technology infrastructure play. And the why is that? It's because we don't make money necessarily on the trucks. We make money on the, on the infrastructure, the hydrogen. So if you think about a diesel truck, when you buy a diesel right now, say a brand-new Peterbilt, you know, big semi-truck. You're gonna pay $150,000 for the, di- for the diesel truck. And then you'll pay about a million dollars-ish uh, for, the, for the fuel for that truck. So the big problem with that is, is the oil companies make all the money. So we came in, we said, look, we wanna take all that money from the oil companies, bring it into Nikola. And when you buy our truck, we cover the cost of your truck, your service, your warranty, your maintenance, and your hydrogen, hydrogen fuel costs. And so now someone just pays us per mile to drive it. That's it. They never have to worry about any other variable. And we've been incredibly successful, over $10 billion in pre-order reservations, an $800 million order with Anheuser-Busch, 13 routes coming for their distribution centers using our trucks and our, our business model. And, uh, you know, we've had a wild ride. I mean, we own public and, uh, it, it, you know, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. It's very difficult being public. I'll be honest, very difficult. But we got a lot of great things ahead of us. And uh, that's always fun to see.
1: Yeah. And so th- this is what makes it a challenging, I think, interview is because there's so much to talk about here. Just pausing for one second on something you said in terms of your inspiration, WeWork um, was instructive to you because they had closed opaque books for such a long time that their problems festered until the point that they became existential and killed the company, essentially. And your position is, hey, if that company had been public earlier earlier all of that sunlight would have come in and disinfected everything and they would not have been involved in such crazy shenanigans correct am i summing that up
0: Uh, you could not have summed that up better honestly that he had had so much control over there that it was unhealthy and so people people even ask me they said hey why are you not the ceo anymore why are you the executive chairman and why are you you know you're the founder and it's for that exact reason so that uh, i didn't want that much control it's a it's unhealthy for an organization to have a dictator and so what I, I'm the executive chairman, the CEO reports to me, but there is a very qualified, great friend of mine, who's, a, who is, his name's Mark Russell. He was the president of of a publicly traded company called Worthington Industries, and he's our CEO now. And so what that does, it allows you to have more than one voice in the boardroom, allows you to have more than one opinion. You're not drinking your own Kool-Aid.
1: Now, that's interesting as a debate. It's interesting as a debate point, I think. The other side of the argument, and I'm not taking this side of the argument, but just to present both sides, the the dictator, uh, in the case of Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, have created the largest companies in the world, and they have control over their companies. So on one side, we have the WeWork example being super instructive. The dictator, God King, on that side, uh, destroyed the company. Uh, And then on other ones... We've seen the largest companies be built. So in fairness, the sample set shows both possibilities, correct?
0: It does. But here's the difference. So in in the WeWork example, they had full control of everything, the board and the dictatorship and the direction of the company. If you look at these other ones like Google or Facebook or or other ones, you have someone who has a lot of power, which would be similar to me, where I, I I control the board so I can make whatever I want to get through, I can get through if I really want to. But the difference is, is you have an objective board that helps balance. And so there was never that, and we were, and then the public didn't know this. So when, the, like you said, when, what happened is you had all these years of crazy things going on. And then when they start to go public, everything comes out at one shot and it's like, oh my gosh, this is a, uh, this is a problem. But if they would have been publicly traded, they would have been more methodical about it. A prime example is interparty party related transactions. I, everything I do, I have to make sure it, it, the board understands what it is, why it is. Is it connected? make sure it doesn't have a conflict of interest. And so I when you run your own private company you don't give a crap about that. You just whatever you, you want to do because you do
1: it. it becomes fatal. I mean I think probably the the self dealing was the thing that did in I think we work in a lot of investors mind when he tried to say I own the copyright and I'm going to sell the copyright cuz surprise he never actually bought the copyright from me and I want 6 million for that and I'm going to buy buildings and lease them back. All that shenanigans was definitely um overplaying his hand. So to summarize your point maybe it's good to have some level of control, um, you know, maybe dicta- dictatorship control, but with some sunlight is yeah, maybe the ultimate balance. model.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's how it was with like Facebook. I mean, look, Mark Mark controls Facebook, but he has a really good, bright, brilliant team around him that balances him. And there was never that over there. And that's what I've done here in Nicholas. We built this team this really good balance around me of people that are objective. They'll tell me no. They'll tell me yes. They'll tell me whatever I need to hear. That whatever's honest, they'll tell me, and they're a great balance to me, and we've created this company now that is, you know, it's it's over ten billion dollars today. It, by the year's end, in my opinion, I can't tell anyone where it's going to go, but I believe it'll be three to four to five times that. We, you know, and that's a great thing about being public is as soon as you start executing your vision, it, it just starts, it just starts going crazy, and that's where we're at. So we let the retail investors come in. You hit on this point earlier. Most people wait till it's too late for retail investors to ever get involved. We allowed retail investors to come in and they get to ride the ride with us. Now, it's very volatile, but they get to ride the ride with us. And that's the advantage. It's not just big big, humongous funds that are buying all your stock and they get all the upside. The regular person gets to be part of the Nikola story now. And that's a that's a brand new model that no one's ever really done before until now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the retail investors getting involved early, they're all looking for something that has uh, perhaps the ability to grow like a private company investment in the venture capital world where I live. Everybody would love to get in on those private companies, but those founders say, hey, being public is too difficult. I would like to stay private. I'll just take a big check from a venture capitalist and I'll just grind on it. You're saying, hey, I want to be, I want to put myself up to the scrutiny of being public. What has been the hardest part about being public and having a bunch of retail investors, you know, essentially either being long-term investors or day traders, essentially gamblers on your stock? What's been the most difficult part for you?
0: I'm trying, you know, the, the hard part is my generation and the generation that came after me is very very uh, focused on immediate gratification. Hmm. They don't know what 30 days means. They don't even know what 60 days means. They, they know what three days means. And they live their life based upon a very short window span of instant gratification. So what I'm struggling to figure out how to do, and I'm working on it every day, it's helped these investors essentially realize that do not invest in Nikola unless you're willing to hold it for say six months. Don't even do it because you, you got to allow a company time to execute their vision or they're gonna make bad decisions. And it's not about the, immediate. you got to Like Warren Buffett talks about, look, don't even, you're, don't invest in company unless you put it in and don't look at it for years. Hmm. And the problem is, is that you want the blend. You want the, you want the Robin Hoods, but you also have to educate them to become more like Warren Buffett. Right. Or others. Now he's not the you know, he's had some bad runs lately, but still, no matter what, he's brilliant. So you want to? You, that's the hardest part I have is helping um, my generation realize that instant gratification is not healthy.
1: Yeah, it's it's great that people are dabbling in the market and getting educated, uh, but eventually, what they'll learn is if some if some company's a winner, you want to hold it right. Like the Bitcoin people, the one thing they got right is to never sell. Right? If you think that this yeah. is the future then why on earth would you get off the train? I think Tesla shareholders, Google shareholders, Amazon shareholders certainly have learned that lesson when we get back from this quick break. I want to break down this innovation in business model because what we've been told is hydrogen doesn't work, it's too expensive, and here you are doing this radical new business plan to sell transportation by the mile as opposed to sell the car and then sell the fuel you're just selling a flat rate i want to understand how you came to that as the best model and then what is the actual economics and why you're pursuing hydrogen and not electric as your primary uh, vehicle for your primary vehicles when we get back on this week in startups listen we all know that linkedin jobs is amazing but i wanted to start today with a testimonial From one of you, the audience, who recently emailed us and told us, as of This Week in Startups Listener, about their amazing experience using LinkedIn Jobs. Well, Aaron Mason is the founder and CEO of Emma AI, a startup that uses AI to optimize travel time on your work schedule. And Aaron recently hired a machine learning engineer who is starting on Monday. He received 110 relevant applications in only four days. That's over 25 a day. And he did that with a small budget, so he got exceptional value. From job posts to offer accepted in only a few days, LinkedIn Jobs for the win, of course. And you know small businesses have unique needs. Despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. You know this. So when you're ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. That's what you want, quality and speed. And LinkedIn does that. They have an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. It is ginormous. And they put your job post in front of qualified members every day so that it's seen by people looking for jobs like yours. And they might even put it in front of some passive job seekers. That's how LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right person faster. Here's your call to action. You love the CTA. I know it because you're going to get the first $50 off when your business makes that next hire, you can find the right person and pay what you want, and they're going to give you the first 50, 50, dollars for free at linkedin.com twist, terms and conditions apply, and those terms and conditions apply because they're giving you $50 at linkedin.com. Slash twist. All right, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Really excited to have a very fascinating cat, Trevor Milton, on the podcast. He is the uh, founder and executive chairman of Nikola Motors, which you've been reading about incessantly because stonks only go up. Obviously, we're in the middle, a bit of a tech stock mania in the summer of 2020. Cause some people believe by my beloved Robin hood, uh, which I've been lucky to be an angel investor in, uh, one of the top three positions, uh, I've been able to get in on along with Uber and comcom and uh, a bunch of retail investors who can't bet on, uh, sports, it seems, uh, are getting into speculating on stocks. The downside, of course you can lose money, but you're going to lose that money if you're betting in Vegas or on, uh, um, football teams, obviously. So maybe getting a financial education is something miraculous for this generation. And that could be a silver lining coming out of the pandemic is that we have a financial literacy um, in this next generation. Trevor, of course, has been dealing that, with that because the stock price has been on a bit of a roller coaster as people discover the company and then uh, turn over cards. And we hope to turn over some cards here and understand Trevor's actual mission, understand the insights, and, and understand the executive which is critical. So let's dig in on uh, some basic things. Why are you pursuing hydrogen and not batteries? Because it seems like batteries are in every laptop, every phone, and the advances in batteries have been pretty spectacular. I own the the 16th Roadster ever made. Uh, I've been a fan of Tesla since the beginning. I've owned every one of their cars. Uh, And The the battery life on those has been spectacular and the prices have gotten cheaper and cheaper. Why would you jump off the battery train and go on hydrogen? I don't understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So actually what people don't know is Nikla is the only group in the world that offers both battery and hydrogen. So we have, we do build these big semi trucks and they're either hydrogen or battery electric and they are two different markets. So a lot of people think that battery competes with hydrogen. It doesn't. They're completely different markets. I'll explain this. Battery works really good up to about 300 miles because you ha- you don't need as much weight on batteries to, to, you know, for the range. So you can get that vehicle to do what you need it to do and it'll go up to about 300 miles. Over 300 miles, hydrogen makes much more sense because of weight. The weight is everything in trucking. So every pound of batteries you have on your vehicle, you're losing about 50 cents per load per pound, up to. So in, if you have a truck that weighs 10,000 pounds more like a battery does compared to hydrogen, then you're gonna lose up to five thousand dollars on every load you do every day if you're at full gross weight. Wait, why so is that?
1: I don't understand that. Is that because the weight of the batteries degrades the energy usage, or because I'm getting charged to uh, by weight, or there's a cap on how yeah. much weight a truck can have? Explain that to me. I don't understand trucking. Exactly. Now. So
0: trucks have a cap on weight eighty thousand pounds. So if your truck weighs let's say twenty thousand pounds, that means you have you have sixty thousand pounds in 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 Cardo. Essentially, freight you, freight you can move with the trailer, right? Got it. So, but if your truck weighs thirty thousand pounds, then you only got you know you got fifty thousand. So you lost ten thousand pounds of cargo you can move. Well, that ten thousand pounds of cargo, a lot of times gets charged. If you're talking about like pork or whatever else or heavier or drinks, you can get charged fifty cents a pound. So it's a huge problem. It's because
1: You're that, losing fifty cents a pound. Essentially, you're losing. Yeah, you're losing. 10, yeah, you're
0: losing, you're losing money and revenue on every load. So it, hydrogen does not make sense in every situation. It's only a very narrow window. And that narrow window happens to be a trillion dollar industry. That's, that is weight sensitive loads, long range, what we call over the road freight. So that's moving stuff from state to state.
1: Weight sensitive would be the trucks are being filled to the brim. As opposed to, like, maybe a FedEx truck may not be filled to the brim. It's filled with whatever's got to be there tomorrow. So it might only be filled 50%. Or if you're transporting cars, maybe they only take up 50% of the volume. But something that could fill a complete volume would be beer or food or milk or something, correct? Exactly. Or there's two things that they
0: call in trucking, wait-out and freight-out. Okay. So freight out means you could have like toilet paper in there and you have no more room and it doesn't matter. Cause you're, you're, you're 30 pounds lighter than, than capacity anyways, or 30,000 pounds and no one cares. Battery makes a lot of sense for that. Got it. But when you start putting heavy loads, like drinks, like Anheuser-Busch or beer or food or, or milk or anything else, weight becomes a major problem. And that's where hydrogen makes a lot of sense. Now here's the key to hydrogen, hydrogen up until like, two years ago until Nikola came along until we really changed the whole thing. hydrogen would have never worked. It was too expensive. We started at $16 a kilogram, which is like five times more than you would with, with our three, whatever, three to five times. How far does
1: a kilogram drive a truck? Eight miles.
0: And what would that drive like a
1: normal car, like five times that or 10 times that? No, a normal car, a kilogram will give you like 40 miles. Got it. So So a kilogram, $16, eight miles is $2 a mile.
0: Yeah, crazy. You're on bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. So now, now what we did is we've been able to drive hydrogen down to under four dollars a kilogram. We're about three dollars a kilogram on hydrogen now. So all of a sudden, those economics now make sense. You're cheaper than diesel. You know, you're, you're down below that thirty cent per mile mark on on fuel. So now it makes total sense to to drive hydrogen. And hydrogen is zero emission.
1: How did so- you do that? How did you get from fourteen to three? Is there some special sauce there? Uh, yeah, very simple. It's
0: all about it's about standardization. So it's like a phone, right? When Apple makes a phone, they'll make twenty-five million or hundred million of the same thing. Yeah. So uh, up in America right now, there's no two hydrogen stations that were actually developed on the same platform. They're all they're all engineered from the ground up separately. So it's like your cost is outrageous, and they have to. But there's no standardization. So we, we developed the first-ever standard hydrogen station that can be produced in the thousands. And that's the key as you just drive the cost down.
1: So that takes, if you make a 1,000 of these, instead of it costing 50 million, I heard, to make a, a hydrogen station. Is that about right right now? The a
0: big car? one, yeah. So a, big, a huge station for semi-trucks, it would be 50. Now we've got it down below 15.
1: So this is the equivalent in the Tesla operating system or the Tesla world of the supercharger network, Correct.
0: Yeah. Very similar to that. Um, but we don't ever build on speculation. So Tesla goes out and puts these chargers all over the place for yep. everybody. We don't. So Nikola, what we do is we sell the customers that go to point A to point B every single day and they, they go back and forth. Like they a never standard change. route.
1: It. So that's what the, the Anheuser-Busch uh, yes.
0: deal is. Exactly. So you put a station on that one route and you never have to worry about if there's trucks to fill there, they're going to fill 24 seven on that route every single day. And that's where all the money is.
1: And so that $800 million deal, how is that staged? They, they, they pay, have they paid you any of that? It's a letter of intent. I'm just curious the, the nature no, of contract. that. And why are they, it's in contract or?
0: Yeah, it's a- in contract, but we have to, so what we have to do is uh, they pay per mile. Mm-hmm. So we allow them to run our trucks. We cover all the hydrogen costs. We cover everything and they pay about a dollar a mile. Hmm. Um, and that's how we make our money. And so here's, here's the way it works. When, Peterbilt sells a truck. They're going to make $15,000 in profit on that truck. When Nikola sells a truck, we can make almost a quarter million of profit per truck. That means they have to sell 20 times somewhere around there. We make 20 times more money per truck we sell than Peterbilt does, than our competition. And that's because we own the hydrogen. We own the oil, but it's not real oil. It's zero emission fuel. Hmm. And that's the key to hydrogen is, is you own the network.
1: And hydrogen, the tank's empty. And you don't have the weight, so that's the reason why you have this big advantage on the volume, the the sort of max load routes. Even like even our even our hydrogen,
0: if you have sixty kilograms, that's only like one hundred twenty pounds. You know, it's like very light. It's sixty kilograms is more energy than a then essentially you'd have 15,000 pounds in batteries with Tesla. So that's how, I mean, you're talking 120 pounds compared to 15,000 pounds or 10,000 pounds.
1: Why has hydrogen not taken off in the United States then? I'm, I'm it's curious. It's too expensive. It. It's just that's too it. expensive.
0: Yeah, but we've driven that down now. So now you see the whole world's talking about hydrogen now because of eco. Like three years ago, you couldn't even talk about hydrogen. Now it's the talk of everything around the world. So, Europe's you know, spending hundreds of billions on it. Everyone is now.
1: So, so the rest of the world tried to figure out hydrogen power cars and trucks yeah. they couldn't figure it out and then no. you guys came along and you figured it out
0: exactly because cars are a terrible idea a lot of times with hydrogen they picked the wrong market these guys are i mean it's insane the stupidity they went after the like cars people want a thirty-thousand-dollar car they don't want a hundred thousand dollar cheap car they want to you know when i say cheap that means like it doesn't give you that it's not like you're buying a a, a g wagon yeah. you're buying a, a tiny little car and you're spending hundred thousand dollars it'll never work the reason why hydrogen works on big trucks is because you make revenue with it and you can pay it back and you can, it's all about weight and it's all about range and you get range and weight with hydrogen and you don't get that with batteries. So in cars, battery's awesome, man. This is the thing we are honest with people because we sell both battery and hydrogen. So we're very honest with people about what the advantages are. And when you get into cars and light duty, battery's the best thing. You get into heavy duty, hydrogen's the best thing. So they picked the wrong market to go after. It's stupid.
1: It makes sense. And so also, I, I, you guys are making... When you do the routes, you're pre-selling the route, so you don't have to incur the cost of building this route. Let's say it was from Arizona to Texas or something. Um just making something up here. Uh, but you're based in Arizona. So betting man would say the, the if you do get this Anheuser-Busch thing up and running, it would be in that Southwest category. Am I correct? Or that uh, region? Could, yeah, we have
0: there's two or three routes they have in this in this western area we're definitely going to focus on those for sure right away
1: and so those repeated routes de-risk you because you don't have to take on the capex structure without a customer so previously the people making the hydrogen hydrogen cells trucks and making the stations were all different people nobody had the ability to build it and then people would come and then people would uh, actually. Exactly. Well, yeah. this, is a, this is a difference of
0: us and everyone else. So think about a company called Clean Energy. They used to build natural gas stations. They they spent hundreds of millions all over the country, actually billions, I think, and no one ever came to fill out them. And so they just like built these things, hoping people would come. Nikola totally different. We only build the order. That means we pre-sell a route, we put a station on it, and we make hundreds of, you know, we make either tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on that route over time. So we just keep building on it. Every Every single route we do, we can make a quarter million dollars a truck. And that's the margins are huge compared to our competition. And that's why there's so much excitement about Nikola, because we've done a couple things. One, we made the second dirtiest industry in the world go zero emission. We've, we create 10 to 20 times more revenue per truck than our competition. Our margins are gigantic. And we have $10 billion, 10, over $10 billion in pre-order reservations, like, like customers signed, ready for us to deliver them trucks Let, it's, letters it's of a intent great
1: right these are people who want to have. and why do those truck what are those shippers want to switch off diesel is it because of they have goals in terms of greenhouse gases or is it they see this as the future and they want to invest in it or is it cost
0: no real quick i want to correct something they're not letter intents. they're actually contracts we got got it yeah billions and billions of dollars with the contracts so um, I want to be clear about that because a lot of people thought that it's just like a non-committal thing. It's not. These are like signed on the dotted line, billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars in orders. Now, we have to deliver and they can get out if we don't deliver. But that's how it is with any contract you do in life. Like, right. you know, if they even order a Peterbilt, they can still back out if Peterbilt doesn't give them a truck.
1: And, so, and those folks who are buying those would not go through the time to sign them uh, if they did not have the intent.
0: Exactly. I mean, these are big companies, they, they want to be they, They're They're actually planning right now, like we have calls with Anheuser-Busch on a monthly basis where we're talking about, okay, when's the delivery? What days are these trucks coming in? When's a hydrogen station going in? When's a permit going in? Because they actually have to phase out their diesels. This is like real serious stuff. It's not a joke. And if you miss it, it's, it's tens or hundreds of millions of damages. Have to,
1: oh, they have to phase it out for environmental reasons that vary by state in the United States, correct?
0: Yeah, those well, it's because of lease cycle. So they have a huh. they have like a three year lease cycle on a truck or whatever, and they have to phase out those diesels when ours come in. So if they miss that, it, that window has to be within like one or two months of each other. And if you're off, you're going to get sued. It's a, it's a very complex thing. It's not simple just to go switch out, you know, switch out from one truck to a whole brand new one. It's a complicated mess.
1: All right, when we come back, I want to understand how you're going to compete with Tesla if they're building a self driving truck that's battery powered. uh, And if that is coming up in the conversations when you talk to your customers, if they're saying, What about what Tesla's building when we get back on This Week in Startups? Okay, if you don't have your SOC 2 compliance buttoned up, you can't close major enterprise customers. It's really that simple. And if you already have your SOC 2 report, Don't you want to make it easier to maintain it year after year? Well, Vanta's compliance software makes it easier to get and renew your SOC 2. Their software continuously tests against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements, and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. The average 20 to 50-person company is SOC 2 ready with Vanta in just two to four weeks, compared to three to five months without Vanta. And with Vanta, you can connect your tools and infrastructure and continuously monitor for risks and vulnerabilities. You can also fix issues fast with actionable guidance. You want to avoid all of those anxious on-site visits from auditors and never again have to prove compliance with manually captured screenshots. And you're going to do that by using Vanta, V-A-N-T-A. Companies like Notion, Lattice, User Testing, and hundreds of others have successfully gotten their SOC 2 reports done with Vanta in weeks, not months, including my portfolio company, LeadIQ. And they told us that they couldn't imagine having to go through SOC 2 without Vanta. Here's your call to action. Unlock those sales and give your employees all of their time back in their calendar to work on more important business-critical assignments. You know you want to do that. So they're giving you, and I know a number of you have already signed up, so thank you for using the code because I want to make sure that you get a $1,000. That's 10 100s That's 20 fitties. $1,000 discount on their subscription, vantacom slash twist. That's Vanta, V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist for, I kid you not, $1,000 off. Thanks to Vanta for supporting independent media like this week in startups. Let's get back to this amazing program. Okay, Trevor Milton's on the podcast being super honest and upfront about his company, Nikola Motors, uh, which is building a semi-competitor to diesel trucks and, of course, uh, the semi that Tesla is building to make clean air, which is great for the world, uh, and to get rid of emissions. Uh, They are betting both hydrogen and batteries, but you, uh, your company is relatively small given the, I think 10 billion plus valuation. And I know the valuation was maybe three times that at the peak. Uh, so you're worth 30 billion just, uh, before even having the products on the road, which is I think where the criticism comes from. But when hearing the vision starts to sound a little more reasonable, um, perhaps not a 30 billion, but, you know, a 10 billion, maybe it sounds more reasonable as a bet. Um, when will you know if you've made the right decision to go hydrogen versus battery on the long haul? And is there a chance that you might switch it?
0: Uh, no, because we actually build both right now. So we build, we actually have the first ever battery electric truck come into market beating Tesla. So we have a 720 kilowatt hour battery truck coming to market at the uh, middle to end of next year in full production with the validated chassis. Um, they may beat us with like one or two trucks, but we have full production coming out at that point where you can spit out thousands of these things. And the reason and,
1: you're able to beat them is because you don't, you've taken the OEM partnership route. You're not actually building the trucks yourself. You're doing it with a partner who's built trucks already.
0: Exactly. I've actually been asked in the past, you know, that I've said, I've had people ask me, you know, wait, if you could have given Elon, you know, two bits of advice, because I think the dude's pretty smart in a lot of areas. You think? <laughs> he's really smart in a lot so of areas, So you give that to Elon,
1: you can see that he's smart? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, areas. you know, he's,
0: he, yeah, he's in some areas, he's ballsy, you know, he's got a lot of guts and, uh, and he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. And That's so, true. I, I get him. I, I yeah. get it. Here's the thing. There's there's two things I think that he should have done. He should have worked with dealerships first of all to to service his vehicles. Maybe not sell them, but service them. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is is that um, you know if you think about uh, if you think about um, OEMs. Yeah, I was going to get back to the service, though. But if you think about the the manufacturer, I was going to cover something in in the service, but don't worry about it. The the OEMs, building these vehicles is a nightmare. He had a great relationship with Daimler, and Daimler could have come in and helped him solve all of his manufacturing problems with with vehicles. And it would have been a walk in the park, and he would have been building twice as many cars as he is today. And now it would have required him to give up some of the company, but who cares? So what we did is we said, you know what? We don't want to do our… You know, we think it's not smart to do our own service, and we don't think it's smart to actually own the like, or to build the trucks ourselves. We want a partner to help us, so we went and we partnered with Iveco. They're the fifth largest truck OEM in the world. They have fifty years, five decades of of heavy duty trucking experience in cold weather, Arctic weather, heavy duty roads, and all over Europe. They are they they're just huge. And so they came in and they said, "Look, Trevor, we have one of the best trucks in the world, but we we have no technology," and. We said well that's good because we have the best powertrain technology in the world we think but we have no we have no expertise in the truck chassis world and um so we partnered up with Iveco, and they they helped us with uh, they spent four years and billions of dollars building a brand new truck platform and in europe all the trucks are the same so a battery electric truck's identical to a diesel truck in europe it's they, they have to be because of because of, of length restrictions and everything So we partnered up with them and now we have the first ever zero emission truck coming to market. It's got 720 kilowatt hours of battery and it goes over 300 miles. And so we know battery as good or better than anyone in the world. And we're even beating Tesla to the market with our semi truck. That's why he just recently and why Elon went out and and told his team to full focus on the semi truck because we're beating them to the market. So on the freeway or within the cities, battery kicks hydrogen's butt within the city a lot of times, almost every time but as soon as you get on the freeway that's where hydrogen that's where hydrogen makes sense so we do both of them
1: uh, and you're going to do, when people are signing these deals with you are they saying hey how do, how do you compete with tesla is tesla going to just sell the trucks to them do you think or i think tesla will do this you know, we'll just charge you by mile approach. Cause that seems like a pretty clever business approach. Yeah. I'll give you credit they're gonna for change, that.
0: Yeah. They're going to change to exactly what we did. So um, look, I've given a lot of credit to them, but they're going to give it a lot of credit to us too. We're the ones that pioneered the entire cost per mile with a semi truck and they're going to pivot. And then we've already heard it now. So Tesla started to tell people they're going to start selling energy at a fixed rate for them for their battery electric trucks. So how do we compete? Well, we don't compete hydrogen versus battery. We compete battery versus battery. So our battery electric truck will compete with the Tesla truck, and they're going and, and the best part is this market's so big that both Tesla and Nikola could build trucks for the next 20 years and never even really compete with the same customers. That's how big this market is.
1: But you've got a, a relatively small company, about 400 uh, employees, um, so you're not doing the manufacturing. You've outsourced that. Um, so what do the 400 people at Nikola do? What is the speciality that you are focusing on?
0: Yeah, I love this podcast, by the way, because you get into like really good questions that a lot of people don't get to the the 400, the 400 people here are are focused on spent like we call them specialty engineers, they're, they're all about the advanced um, technologies of the company, whether it's software, hardware, inverters, e axles, um, batteries, battery management systems, controls, all that stuff, right? So what we do is we take that once we fit once we build a prototype, then we send it out to someone like, um, and in EOX, you could do someone like, uh, you know, board Warner, ZF or whatever. ZF, they call it ZF. And they're the experts. They have, you know, thirty, forty thousand 40,000 employees on board. Why would you want to do what they do? So Tesla does everything themselves. I don't. I'm not saying they're right and I'm wrong, or I'm not saying I'm right and they're yeah, wrong. I mean, I'm and the, different, the going right? full
1: stack for Tesla gives them the ability to build these dreadnought factories around the world. And if they can continue to sell cars at this pace, it could become like... Uh, like a literal factory where they're dependent on no one. I think with the OEM, you have so many people who can screw up and then delay the production of what you're doing. You lose control, which is what Tesla had actually in the Roadster days. I think that almost killed the company before Elon was running it. The, the Tesla Roadster was built with OEMs, and there is some challenge to that too, right? You are dependent on each piece of the puzzle coming together with those OEMs, and if any one of them screws up, you've got to then you have a delay, right? You're, you you lose control.
0: It is true, but there's yeah. been hundreds of millions of cars built on that platform and they've all, all these OEMs have figured out how to manage their supply chains. It's not that hard to do. Yeah. You have to, now, a lot of it comes down to financing, how much, you know, just in time versus, you know, stored inventory. Most of these guys are too greedy to ever have stored inventory. So they're, if they have a three-day delay, it affects their entire supply chain. I'm not like that. I'd rather have a big inventory of our parts and just, and for stability. But it, hundreds of millions of cars have been built by third-party suppliers with, with these different parts. Remember, the tech is ours. So the battery, like all the important stuff like software batteries or, or e-axle designs, it just means we use someone else to to build them in the thousands for us, but we own all the tech. Yeah, And that's, that to us is allows us to not have to have 50,000 employees.
1: Right. And then let's talk about self-driving. That's uh, obviously coming and it's going to be coming in the the midterm i think trucks and truck routes are the most repetitive and the easiest to get right and um, that's clearly uh, why so many people are focused on it you're taking this oem approach you're gonna have to have self-driving in the trucks at some point so is it going to be a similar thing where you pick cruise or you pick waymo and you just say hey can we license your technology which is what waymo wants to do anyway
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, here's the thing, like Nikola took a different model than Tesla. Tesla does everything in-house and they're good for it, but they're also bad for it. Um, You've got thousands of people, like for instance, Daimler and Bosch have got thousands of people on autonomy right now. You have crews that have, you know, they have hundreds of people. You have Too Simple, you have Waymo, you've got, they've got thousands of people spread throughout this. You know, to hire these people is almost impossible, let alone teams of thousands of them. And the cost is outrageous and, and it's becoming a commodity. So I I kind of what I tell everyone is don't insource anything that's a commodity. So if it's a commodity, don't do it. Just just bring it in from a supplier. Uh, it's like glass on a window. Why why do your own glass? That's insane. Just buy someone's glass. I mean, that,
1: I guess the 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 re, the argument Tesla had was because they built the entire thing, they're dependent on nobody. They put raw materials into one side and they capture all that profit. Yeah. Um, and then they could scale faster. That would be the argument. But in your case with trucks, it's not like you're trying to produce five or ten million of these a year. There you go. There you, you go. Expect yep. to produce yep. five or ten thousand a year or you something. You nailed it. Like it's all about
0: quantity. And that's the problem with trucking is you don't have the quantity you have an automotive in. That's why I tell people what we do is not doesn't mean that Tesla's wrong. It just means that it's a different industry. So uh, it's it's just a totally different world.
1: And and now did you pick the name Nikola? Five years ago, because Tesla existed, and you thought that would be like interesting. How'd you come to the brand name? Because I could think. Like... People are like, well, that's kind of close to Tesla. Uh, yeah. well, how did you come to the name the naming <laughs> of the company when there was another company with the last name of the inventor? Yeah, I didn't name it after it
0: because that, that would be a very prick move to do. That's, that's that why would gonna, be kinda, cool. you said yeah. it, not me. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. asking you for that okay. reason because it felt well, a absolutely. little bit trolly to – Yeah, it, it would be a prick move if it was. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with uh, the fact that Nikola Tesla was the greatest inventor in the world. I'm a true inventor. I'm a creator. I started five companies in my life. I've been doing this for 20 you know over 20 years i i know what it's like to create i know what it's like to innovate and the greatest creator of electricity and technologies around that have been nikola tesla so this was paying homage to him had nothing to do with elon and the biggest problem that i have is you know the the guys over there that got upset at us for doing that it's all a pride thing it has nothing to do with it like no one. The market confusing.
1: I mean, I guess the argument would be you're kind of drafting on their branding. You know, what do we get out of it? There's nothing we get out yeah, of it. I other mean, than it criticism. creates a category. Every journalist has to say, "Oh, Nikola and Tesla. Nikola Tesla get it." Like it basically me. It puts you yeah, in the category. Right. You know, or stands you next to them. Right? It's kind of like a photo yeah. bomb. I guess. Well, I guess, I guess the there's like way to describe it.
0: I guess there's probably some good that can come from it, but there's yeah. also been a lot of bad. And so I've I've all, I've always told people, look, when I have a belief in something, which is I think that Nikola Tesla was one of the greatest inventors in the world, I'm going to name my company after him. I own the trademarks on it, so I'm going to do it regardless of what someone else thinks because I'm a guy of principle. Yeah. Now, if if someone else doesn't like it, I, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. But it, just to answer your question, it had nothing to do with with Tesla itself. I did. I mean, look, I've been a I've had Tesla cars for the last. I think over five years now, and I finally just got rid of it. I finally went to a Jaguar I-Pace to try it out. And it's the first time in five years. How much better is the
1: Tesla than the uh, Jaguar?
0: um, Software-wise, Tesla destroys Jaguar. Quality-wise, Jaguar destroys Tesla. But it's, but that's, that's the problem is I like software more than the quality of the, material so it's kind of a problem because i, I prefer that tesla car because of the software and how yeah. easy it is to use but i and i despise jaguar with their software it's, it's a monstrosity of problems yeah. and, and nothing works but so i i love what tesla's been doing around the world because they they've literally pushed oems to learn how to be to think just to be normal. Like I'll give you a quick example. If you want to start your car with a Jaguar, it takes like, I swear, it takes like 15 minutes to do it. You have to log in. You have to like revalidate. You have to tell the car to do something. It has to <laughs> wait. It has to think about it. It has to refine where the car is. It's like 15 minutes to turn your AC on. Sometimes you can't even do it if a window's open. Right. Why does it, why, why do you care if a window's open? Let me start my damn car. Yeah. You know, this, and it's like this total mess, right? And you get on Tesla. It's like, one click of a button you're in the app another click of the button you set the temperature another click of the button close the app it's like three easy three steps and if you
1: have your phone you can if your phone is paired you can just open the door and sit down and the car turns yeah. on because it knows you are sat so, down right they've actually look, thought this through uh, I, I have given so many compliments
0: to to what they've done in the world that um it's uh, it's definitely incredible what right, they've and done you're
1: going to do some consumer cars as well correct
0: we only one. We have the Nikola Badger, which is – well, I shouldn't say only one. We have the Nikola Badger, which is an electric pickup truck.
1: I want to know um, why you decided to add that to your plate because you have a huge, big plate filled with delivering on these $10 billion in contracts. Why would you then go to consumer when we get back on This Week in Startups? hey everybody do you like modern furniture i do and i am in love with a company called Modloft. you may have heard of them they make gorgeous really well built elegant but affordable modern furnishings and i have one of their beautiful tables in my home and then i have another table that was imported and i get more compliments on the one that cost a fraction of the cost of the imported one from italy i kid you not it is amazing i love mod loft because these are built to last and they're beautiful and they're a fraction of the cost and also mod loft offers a lot of cool services like risk-free at-home trials and they deliver in days not months we're team in stock we're looking for stuff that's in stock so we can get it there we don't want to wait six months and their prices are spectacular even though they've won all these international design awards they will give you free interior design consulting to fit your style. And they have exceptional customer service. I know this because the Modloft folks reached out to me at some point and They said, hey, we're big fans of your podcast. And I said, I'm big fans of yours. And we're like, oh, okay, let's do something together. And here we are. Modloft will furnish your entire home from your bedroom to living room, dining room, and outdoor with stunning items that will leave you and your guests in awe. Get in there and go visit modloft.com slash twist for 15% off and free shipping. That's why founders, venture capitalists, pro athletes, and top recording artists all choose Modloft, including me. So thanks to Modloft for supporting this week Startups and uh, for making great products. Candidly, I love the products. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, we're chopping it up with Trevor Milton, the uh, executive chair and founder of Nikola Motors. Uh, they are building hydrogen and battery-powered semi-trucks with their partners. They're taking OEM route. They raised about $500 million before they did their SPAC. Uh, the SPAC brought in another seven eight $800 million. Is that correct?
0: Yep, $700, yep. yep. Over
1: $700. Uh, and there were a bunch of warrants associated with that. And so when you buy a warrant, you actually have to buy it so I believe that the company gets that cash, correct? Yeah, we as just well. got another two hundred and
0: sixty million this week from it.
1: So that means you have a billion dollar war chest.
0: We do. We have a, almost a billion dollars in our account right now, Amazing. and no debt, uh,
1: and only five hundred employee or four hundred employees. So yeah. that means you're you're really only spending on employees ten million a month or something. I would guess something in that range. It's
0: really low, and that's what the advantage is. Is that's why we did it that way.
1: So now you've got all this cash uh, on the balance sheet. And you've got all this runway, but you, this building a network of hydrogen chargers and coordinating the building of hydrogen trucks and satisfying a bunch of customers seems like an awful lot of work. And then uh, I'm not sure exactly the date you announced it. What date did you announce that you're going to, Take on Ford's F-150 pickup truck and Elon Cybertruck and the Rivian. Rivian is uh, the other. Rivian, Rivian. Rivian. Yeah. Sorry, Rivian. Uh, so now you decide. F it. I'm going to create an F-150, the best selling car uh, in the United States. I think, and obviously best selling truck. Why would you take on more work?
0: <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. So here's the reason why. Our trucks are a gravy train with money. Um, that's where all the money comes from is our, is our, is our big semi-trucks, right? The problem is, is 90% of Americans will never own a semi-truck. And so your investment port, your investment, your portfolio of investors can be very limited. And if we wanted to go and build a company that's going to be worth 500 billion, trillion dollars over say 10 or, 10 or 15 years. And if you're limiting yourself to 10% of the market, you'll never do it. No matter how good your numbers are. The reason why people love Apple, that everyone touches their product. Why do they love Google? Everyone touches their product. So it, you're, what I did is I knew day one, I, you know, once once we started coming out, we had all this gravy train coming in from the semi-truck program. My my question was, okay, that's great, but I'll never touch the average consumer. So therefore 90% of investors will probably never invest in me. So I needed to touch the consumer. And so the, the truck is for the profit, the semi-truck, the pickup trucks for the consumer. And the consumer is the one who is part of the Robinhood portfolio is part of the the, you know, the family office or whatever. And that's where all the, the valuation of the company comes from. Will you be able, product.
1: Are, are you saying you're going to do it profitably or that it's a loss yeah. lead or a break? It's profitable. It'll, you you tend profitable. to be profitable with it. What will that retail for? Have you announced the pricing and the launch date of that?
0: Yeah, 60 to 90 K. Um, and uh, so very reasonable in the price. And we'll have about somewhere right around about 20% margin on that. And it hits uh, next year. So we'll be in production at the end of next year. And you know. are
1: you taking the same approach? You're going to build it with a partner as opposed to? Yes. Oh, so who's that partner? Who, who's um, going to build a pickup truck? That's before? not been
0: announced yet, but it'll be coming out soon. That's, it. that's probably one of the biggest announcements that the entire investment community wants to know about Nikola. And that hits very soon. Okay. That's a huge deal. And it'll be built at their factories through their supply chain. You're talking about billions of dollars in saving with the ability to build hundreds of thousands of these without any type of uh, growing paints. And, and, and it's going to be
1: hydrogen or is it going to be battery?
0: Both. You can order either way. You can choose battery or hydrogen. But and with so, hydrogen,
1: uh, how would you fill the tank if you have yet to build the network?
0: Well, in some states, like California, you have hydrogen. You already have you know, a lot of hydrogen stations. But we have 700 hydrogen stations going up right now throughout America. And it's just going to take time. We won't sell hydrogen in every market. We're going to say, look, as soon as our station comes online, then you can buy the hydrogen version there. Why
1: would somebody buy the hydrogen? Because its it seems, like we said earlier, that battery kicks hydrogen's ass in low load situations, uh, if we take it that doesn't. as a given, who who has a pickup truck that's going to be going for 10 hours hauling something huge? That seems like a tiny part of the market. What Even what is that market?
0: No, about 30 to 40% of the pickup truck market actually uses their truck for work and pulls trailers. So in that situation, you do not want a battery truck. You know, if you pull a te- if trailer with a Tesla Model X right now, you lose about 60, 70% of your range. So you're talking about getting a, you know, you can't put a trailer on there and go more than 100 miles on a, on a cyber truck without a dying or 150. So the idea here is, is that if you can, with hydrogen, you can allow that truck to pull a trailer, you know, it'll give you a 600 mile range without a trailer and about a 300 mile range with it. And so that's, it's made for the construction world, the people pulling trailers, the business owners, the guys going to job sites or those trying to power a job site or those hauling big loads. And that's what it's for on the, uh, the, that's what it was made for, for the hydrogen version.
1: And So you will, on the hydrogen side, is there a hydrogen pickup truck out there today?
0: No, we're the first one.
1: Yeah. So you're not going to be competing with anybody on the hydrogen side for the pickup truck, but you will be competing with uh, Rivian and the Cybertruck eventually um, on that side. But you're not going to be building it yourself. You're going to be putting your innards, your drivetrain, your batteries, et cetera. But I assume you're not making your battery packs either, right? That's your lightweight. No, we do. You do make no, your own we, battery packs. We do make our own battery packs. That's
0: a key that's a key element because of the cost. The battery packs 30% of your vehicle's cost or 40. So, it's one of the most important things to actually bring in house. And so, we do make our own battery packs. The whole truck is our design, is our is our build, but another manufacturer is going to actually be spitting it out on their assembly line.
1: So, you're going to be in the battery business. You're going to build battery packs.
0: Oh yeah, you have to be. You'll never make it as an OEM if you don't build your own battery. That's the most critical part.
1: What what do you think Tesla's going to announce with this um new battery technology? They had bought that battery company. Is it going to be that the life cycles of batteries will get much better? More you know, cost he's will go uh, down. What do you think it's going to be?
0: Yeah, I think you're going to be cost, material type, you know, uh, things like that, but I think uh you know, he's you know, it's it's tough, dude. Like I I get I get where they come from, but they have there's a, I, I really hope that they focus on just getting out what they've promised. Like, you know, full self-driving has been promised for many years, it's still not there. It's, and, and there's just a lot of things where they need to focus on delivering. And they've, they've started to deliver quantity of cars, but they need to start delivering on, their, on, their, on their, their promises of what they've done. And that's been really my only critique. And another battery thing is like, okay, look, you got Samsung, LG, and Panasonic spending tens of billions of dollars in research and development. Why would you want to try to engineer your own cell? You could just pay Panasonic to do that. Like why why try to you don't well, see I think they want I
1: think the reason they would be doing it is because they think they can do it better and that if they do 10 different things concurrently 10 20% better they change the world.
0: They can um it, it the complexity is is that you can't focus and and I that's that's okay but I mean you know look it's it's a, it's a tough one for me because as an entrepreneur the easiest thing to do is be distracted. It's easy to be distracted. It's hard to focus. And I maybe that's where we differentiate ourselves a little bit is we have a lot going on as well, but heaven I mean there's no money in batteries. They pay a buck 75 for a cell right now, okay? The 2170, that's the going rate for billions of cells. They're a buck 75 for this battery, right? And uh, if you build it yourself, you're going to be a you might you might be ten or twenty percent cheaper than that, but then you got the capex that's going to cost thirty percent. So it's a net loss of ten percent to do it yourself.
1: It, unless you have a thesis that you can continue at a faster pace to lower the price, and that could make the difference, right? Um, it, it,
0: it is true, but I mean, you're not getting any like that's a hope ten years down the road. Like uh, I don't know, I, it's a hard thing, man. Because like I, there are certain things I do in house doing sales. We've so well, I, mean, both of these are, I would so say great.
1: both of these are valid ways to do it. In fact, Tesla started with the idea of using OEMs and specializing on the software or just in electric or they just had a small budget back then, but to take on these projects and then use them because remember the battery pack in the Tesla is the same one that goes on the wall in a home and the same one that's used in the power grids in Australia and Hawaii. So, you know, I yeah. think that they have a vision to be an energy company overall and just sell you the tesla energy pack where you get the car the solar panels and the wall unit right the power wall. yeah world. no so, they've done some cool
0: stuff man I, I mean i love what they've i love what they've done i i just uh, there's so many things that are like uh, you know you only have so many hours in the day right and there's so many yeah. things that he could actually do that would be like monumental change rather than like like what incremental change i like monumental change i don't like incremental what do you think? So what's that, the, the monumental
1: what's change tesla's not doing that you think they should do what's the number one thing
0: Oh, man. Well, I don't want to give give some of that away. But I think I think Elon ought to seriously focus on aviation, is my opinion. Really? Like VTOLs? Yeah, yeah I think he ought to focus oh. on, on aviation. That's Why? my opinion, because that's, a that's one of the biggest polluters in the world. It's 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 one that needs a lot of battery tech. And it's one that has a lot of money involved with it, because you're transporting people, I think he needs to come up with VTOLs that are moving containers. Um. I would invite you know, if, if he was asking me, you know, what do you do, I'd say, Listen, we've already ran simulations on it. I already know what it takes to VTOL containers and move them out of ports. That's what I'd probably suggest it VTOLs goes into- VTOLs
1: of containers out of ports. So instead of putting them on trucks, trucks. you just actually lift them out, it's going to be- Lift them out,
0: over the mountains, right? In, right up to a distribution network that gets moved by a truck after that. Yeah. So it's like a 15 mile trip, that's it, and you charge when you're done. You go drop that, that container off out of, the, out of California. So it picks it up in the port of LA, and moves it up to, to right outside, right over on the other side of the mountain range. And then it ta- a truck takes it from there, and it decongests the whole entire valley. It gets rid of all the emissions. And or you could do that through a an an hyperloop.
1: <laughs> it is amazing the amount of innovation going on because you could also just throw those things into a hyperloop tube and just zip them out. Do um, it! I mean,
0: that's the stuff I love, man. Get it, follow, solve, solve a big problem. A, you know, a five percent or ten percent incremental change on a battery is a big what? deal, but they're doing that anyways right now. Everyone, uh, yeah, I,
1: I'm curious. Uh, where you came from and how you got to here, because, you know, we got uh, 44 minutes into the podcast. I think we under the st- we understand the strategy, the product, what you're doing. I'm curious who you are, because I haven't heard of you before this. I've been in the business for a while, but I don't know everybody, but I know a lot of people. Well, you had five companies before this. Which one was the most successful objectively in terms of outcome?
0: Well, outcome, it would have been my previous one, which was D hybrid systems where we built hydrogen and natural gas storage. So I came from the the heavy duty industry already understanding heavy duty trucks storage, how to store energy. Um, That's that one. I sold the Worthington Industries. And uh, but then you know I'd say that the most successful one I ha- ever well, how, had was how actually big did my did that biggest. Company get?
1: How did that? How big did that get? The, the storage one that Worthington. We did got? a few
0: million in revenue. Our first year, second year was thirteen million. We we're on track for fifty million the year after, and that's when we sold to Worthington Industries. And
1: Worthington's also your partner in Rivian, right? I'm sorry, on um, Nikola.
0: And Nikola, yes, they had a stake in the company. I, yeah. they, they actually had a zero basis, and they've made a, over a billion dollars um, oh, from our wow. investment
1: uh and so and then before that you said you had another company that did even better yeah
0: so well no actually my biggest failure was my biggest success in my ah. opinion that's where i oh. differentiate a company called upillar.com it was uh we did online e-commerce um it was very similar to amazon we built the first shopping cart out there that i know there might have, i don't know of anyone before it, but what that shopping cart did is allow you to buy like 20 items from 20 different people put it all into a one cart, we would handle the merchant process one time, and then we would split it up under different invoices. We actually, we actually had that before anyone else, before Amazon did. And then obviously Amazon grew and it became incredible and then kicked our butt. And, but we just couldn't handle the growth. We, that was like my biggest learning experiences were at UPillar where I made a ton of mistakes in my life and it made me who I am today.
1: What, what did you, um, if you, if you were to look back on that time, top two or three mistakes that you fixed now in, in your mind?
0: Um, I tried to scale too quickly. That was a big problem of mine. Like we I we are we are we are spread out thin. So we we were focused in certain markets for for e-commerce, and we were killing it. And then we tried to hit the whole country, and it, and it just imploded. So the problem, I should, if I would have just stayed focused on the markets that we were at, we would have done well, and we would have had enough people on the site to inside those markets to make it valuable. Um, instead, I tried to just go more the whole country route type of thing, and and it really hurt us. That was a The second one is, is that I was in the wrong area. I was in a small town in Utah called St. George. And that there's no one there that does investments into the internet at all. And so I was in this town where no one even knew about internet investments. They knew nothing about it. And I was trying to raise money from people that were doing construction. And so it was just a terrible, terrible idea. I should have been in, if I was in Silicon Valley, I would have probably raised five or $10 billion if I wanted to. Because we are growing, we had 80 million people come on our site. I mean, we're insane gross.
1: Yeah, I mean, the location did matter for some period of time. Now, location seems to be mattering less uh, and less these days. People do not perceive that you have to be in Silicon Valley to build a unicorn. Tell me about how the SPAC came along and how you made the decision to do that. Because that seems to be at the sort of key of this story is this bold move to take a company public without the product being in market yet. Certainly the contract, certainly, uh, you know, the team. But to go public, that's the thing you've received the criticism for, but that's the thing that's also put a billion dollars in your bank account and given you the high ground to actually execute on an ambitious plan. So when did? what is the background on? Who is the maniac who decided to take this company and say, let's spack it? Because that seemed like the bold move of bold moves.
0: It was a, look, innovators always get criticized until they prove them right. This sure. sure, that's of, what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm like,
1: framing it as bold, by the way. I didn't frame it as crazy. I framed it as bold.
0: Yeah. Not you. I'm actually yeah. giving a compliment here to yeah. Tesla, I mean, yeah. to, to Elon, because every time he does something, you know, a lot of times for years, they would call him crazy. And then he proved it. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's really smart. But what happens is like a year prior to going public, I told my board, I'm, we're going to go public. And they said, not a chance. You're an idiot. And I said, listen, you got to understand. You got to just trust me. We got to go public. We need to. And uh, And they said, no, never and not for like another many, many years. And you got to be revenue. You have to like, no one ever goes public pre-revenue. And I said, I don't care if anyone ever has, I'm going to. So I, I, over time I convinced them. And then all of a sudden, um, when the WeWork thing happened, the board was like kind of woken up like, Oh my gosh, yeah, it actually is a problem. We need to think about being more transparent. How do we do this? How do we raise money in this, in this industry where, um, unicorns are being criticized. So I, I, uh, Um, we were dealing with Cowan and Morgan Stanley and they, they brought a person to us. They said, Hey, there's this guy who's a former, former head of General Motors. He's got an enormous amount of background. He's running a SPAC. He's got a, you know, he can help you raise $700 million guaranteed. Um, would you meet with him? And I said, you know, I said, sure. So Steve Gursky, a guy named Steve Gursky came out to visit us and he brought his entire team of due diligence out to see if we were real. And they spent months on due diligence with us. And they came to the conclusion that the Nikola truck was real, that everything was real with it, that the suppliers were real, the partnerships were real. They did all the due diligence, and and uh, they had a two hundred thirty five million dollars SPAC, a special acquisition company, and then they they were able to bring on another five hundred plus million on the pipe investor, which is the follow on investors. So we brought in seven hundred, I think it was a seven hundred fifty million total um, going public, and that has been monumental because now we got a, you know, we have that plus a warrants, which gave us a billion dollars of. of of cash reserves and today a billion doesn't sound like a lot no no, it's a lot but it's a lot of money it's a
1: ton of money for a 400 person company usually it would have been doled out in 50 million dollar chunks from this point forward 100 million dollar chunks and you'd have to tranche it this billion dollars is going to last you two three four years will it take you to profitability or are you going to have to keep going back to the market and sell more shares
0: it'll be a couple of years i mean it took uh you know most of our competitors are in it over 20 billion 20 25 billion so it's crazy to think that we can make all that profit without going out again. We are gonna go to the market eventually one day to uh, to bring in more money. We love to have good cash reserves. But the nice thing about our, I'll tell you a phrase I tell everybody. And this is one of my favorite phrases. I says, you cannot be environmentally sustainable if you're not financially sustainable. So you you cannot have a business model that's built on credits only. You cannot have a business model that's built on government subsidies. You've gotta have a business model that's incredibly profitable without any type of subsidies. And that's how we built Nikola, was a very sustainable financial model and also a environmental environmentally sustainable model. And that's where I think the greatest valuations are going to come from in the future.
1: Yeah. And so the, the SPAC puts the money in. You have a pipe, a private investment in a public entity that occurs at the same time. But then you sell $70 million in shares at that same time. Is that correct?
0: Yep. Yeah. So So how do you, I mean, that's
1: something people were really critical of, like, why, if you're so long the vision, would you take 70 million off the table in, you know, before the products even launched that, that was a red flag of red flags for me and for others.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of people have asked me and criticized me. And here's the, here's the real answer to it. When we did, um, when we were going through this, the pipe put in all their money at $10, you know, at the $10 share, um, price essentially, which is the pre IPO price for everybody. Um, the SPAC put in the, the thing at ten dollars as well, and the and the 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 pipe these big funds like Fidelity, um, PSAM, you know all these different groups that were in the, that are in here, um, BlackRock, all these other groups, they came in they said, look, you got too much control, way too much. Um, you own the board, you own. What the was CEO, your ownership really. at
1: that point, percentage wise? ballpark? Well,
0: I gave up a lot, so I had seventy percent of the company, and I gave about thirty to my employees. Um, oh I wanted them to all become rich. And so I gave, I wanted them all become, you know, I don't want all the money myself. I want to share it with, I want to share it with people that are, that so have So you created a 30%
1: that, employee stock option pool
0: and, and, um, well, I gave away probably about 15% directly. And then the other 15% through the option. So it was almost, it was over 30% of my stock was diluted. It was taken off 30% of the top to, to those guys. And I still had 40% of the company. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll make you know hundreds of people wealthy in their generations to come after it. And that's what I like in life. But the answer to the why the stock was sold is they came to me and they said, look, we want you to, we don't want you to be the CEO and the executive chairman. You got to choose one or the other. And I and I asked them why. I said, what's your reason? And they said, well, it's not healthy to have one voice everywhere to control everything. And I said, I can see that. That's actually some wisdom in that. Um, and I've always done everything where everything I've ever done with the board has always been a unanimous consent, which means I've i have successfully convinced my board to do something every one of them I don't ever overrule my board if, if someone doesn't like something I want to know why. I'm a very objective guy people may not think this but I I won't do something if even one of my guys objects to it. I want to find out why and, I, and if I can't convince him then I won't be able to convince the market. So when they came to me and they said that I was like okay I understand and they said we want you to have a we want you to be locked up longer we want you to be here for a long period of time. We want you to take one dollar salary. And, and also the whole executive team. This is, what's not, this, is what, this is what no one ever reported on. All they did is report on the bad, right? Because it gets headlines. So the entire executive team came in and said, okay, we're going to take $1 salary and, that's, and we get stock bonuses. That's it. And, um, and they said, Trevor, we want you to reduce down some of, the, some of that control. And, and they said, we'll buy some of those shares from you so you can live on this. So You're not focused on money during the time that you are running this company. We want you to have some money out now. It's smart. And we want you to focus on Nikola, not focus on how you're going to pay your bills or pay for your house or whatever else. So they came in and they they offered to buy, as part of that deal, they offered to buy $70 million of my shares at the exact same rate they paid for everything else. Yeah,
1: no, there wasn't anything uh, nefarious of it, just the, the, except the signal of, oh, he's selling his shares, but... Um, it wind up being seven percent of the total proceeds, uh, or ballpark of that yeah. of this whole thing. So it's not like it's outrageous. It is life changing money. Certainly, it's it's not it's not chump change. Yeah, but you're still have thirty percent of the company or something to that effect. Yeah, I'm actually buying more. more right
0: now. So that we we I made a you know I I put this out there so everyone would know so I wouldn't get sued. Um, I put it out there that it, the board has released me to be able to borrow on up to 16% of my shares, which is a couple hundred million dollars worth of, uh, worth you of, own 30% of the company now I, about, yeah, uh, somewhere uh, slightly below the 30% mark. Got and it. my goal is to get up to, my goal is to try to, uh, over time is to buy up to about 35%.
1: Got it. So you sold some, but now you've got conviction yeah. again and you're
0: buying again. Well, I've always had conviction, but yeah. it's the difference is now is that I've got, uh, you know, when you're, when you've, it's smart. Every investor in the world will tell you you should take some off the table. Yes. Every investor, yes. no, like anyone who tells you should never have anything off the table is an idiot. Like yes. it's just a flat out idiot. They should never be given advice. Yeah, I mean, something.
1: diversification is a cornerstone of any uh, yeah. wealth accumulation strategy yeah. for sure. Uh, and but you make so now you have the ability to when you're buy. Tight on money, but you're taking so. loans against your equity holdings to buy more equity. That's considered amount. a very high risk behavior, isn't it? Like that's taking no, margin. Small.
0: No, a very small amount. We're got talking- it. 16%. So 16%. And I, so it would have to collapse by over 80 for me yeah. even be affected. And I've got money to buy those out. If they collapse that low, I just buy them out. I got, got cash. Right. So there is zero risk for me to do this. It just It's a big commitment, but it's no risk. It just means I would lose my my huge, you know, my my nice nest egg. Right. But I've already got my house paid for. I got my things paid for. Like, I'm okay to take that risk. I believe in the company. It's all right.
1: What, what do you need to prove this year to convince the naysayers what do you think in the next year or two um you need to prove the business model out and also to you know sort of satisfy the the naysayers out there
0: yeah i think there's probably two or three things that are really important number one is the oem partnership with the badger so people can actually see who's going to be the oem that comes in and works with us on the badgers or where we're not out billions of dollars trying to build a car that everyone else was losing money on got so so
1: if if that comes out and it's like a toyota or it's like Somebody who's built a lot of trucks, you're going to look, or Jeep or something, or I don't know who's the big truck builder. You're going to look, uh,
0: that's going to help validate, correct? You're, we're going to look really good. Got it. <laughs> if, that, if, if that happens, which we believe it will from where we're at right now, um, if that happens, then I would, I would, I would, I cannot give anyone advice on where it's going to go, but I'd see our, I'd see our company value. To be clear, it's not, cl- it's
1: not, it's not closed. The deal isn't closed. You're working on it.
0: Um, we have three offers on the table right okay. now, and all we have to do is sign paperwork. So we're trying to validate which one is the best oh. one for us. Oh, that's good. So, yeah, we have, and some of them bring other things that are better than others. So we might not take the one that gives us the most money, but we'll take the one that gives us the best chance of being successful in the long run. So we've got three term sheets right now on my desk that are that are uh, um, that are essentially ready to be signed.
1: Uh, so getting that. Badger out, or getting the announcement about who's going to build the Badger for you—that's a you. big one. That's the that's big, big one. one. Okay, that, well, that's one of them. The other Go. one is
0: getting the, the the first ever battery electric semi truck on the on the road being tested, like and be ahead of Tesla, ahead of everybody. This is like the production, you know, really real production version, is not a prototype. And those come out in the next. Uh, there's actually five of them coming off the assembly line right now in our factory in Ulm, Germany. So we have a factory in Ulm. And that's spinning the first five off right now. We're going to go out and test the heck out of them. And after that comes hundreds. And after that comes thousands. So if we deliver those five right now this year, it's game over. is going to be where, you know, it's on the trajectory of where our competitor is.
1: Uh, That being Tesla, $250 billion, 25X where you are currently today. Um, When those those trucks come out, they already have a a buyer has already bought them or they're just, you'll just use them and and use them to... Uh, sell more trucks.
0: No, those five are the are the hardcore testing ones where you have them in the hands of like fleets and your sell your team and your and other fleets. So this is where people can actually get in and drive them with loads and it's safe. Got it. You know, this is one reason why you don't see us or uh, Tesla to, to actually allowing fleets to drive our trucks. They're not they're not safe to put in someone else's hands. Because there's a lot of like it's a it's a very like it's a it's a very advanced prototype, but it's not made to just hand over to someone. Mm. So these are actually made to where you can let someone just jump in and drive them.
1: Got it. Uh, what are the chances that the, oh is there anything else on that?
0: Those yeah, are top the, two, the, third the third one is, one, yeah. is the third one's is uh, Nikola World. So at Nikola World is December third, fourth, and fifth. When we unveil the Badger, we show off all of our other product lines. That's where people get to see the Badger become real for the first time. So a lot of people have said that our, our pickup truck is fake. It doesn't exist. And it, it's real. It takes two years to build a prototype, you know, like that. That advanced, it fully works. So our when you see our truck in December, it's even further along than anything that even like Rivian's ever built or Tesla's ever built on a truck level. It is, I mean, stamp panels. It's, it's beautiful. It's done, done. It's gorgeous. And so we've... And you were actually, able not, to
1: leapfrog... Rivian and Tesla, because you've got a partner who's already built all these pieces. You're not starting from the ground up. You're just putting your that's, intelligence into it.
0: That's part of it, but it yeah. was actually our chassis that, that they're going to help us commercialize it. So we, What we did is we did like the first 50% of it, and then they came in and they said, hey, you know what? We'll throw our 20,000 people at it that are truck experts, and uh, you'll have the best-made truck on the planet Earth, and that's why.
1: Um, here's a, a silly question perhaps, or maybe deadly serious. Um, you took money from OEMs who invested in the company, right? Some number of trucking companies and other folks, battery companies, cell companies, I believe, other folks invested. Are you worth more in terms of a market cap than them in this crazy stock, you know, days?
0: <laughs> yeah, we are. So like Worthington, Worthington invested in us and there were three or four billion or worth three or four times them and they got a billion dollar return out of it. Um, you think about some of the other guys, not Bosch. Bosch invested 130 million in us. And they're still worth more than we are. But I would see, a, in the next year, I'd see the ability for us to be worth more than Bosch. Um, so so yeah, Worthington, in a lot of
1: Worthington was the truck company. You said Is that the name? No, Worthington, yeah, Worthington was a metal company. The metal they're, company. Uh, so now with this market cap, why don't you just go ra- back around, circle back around and buy some of these OEMs? And then you got the full stack.
0: You could, but they got the legacy of diesel. And I don't want to wow. ever be associated with building diesel trucks. Got it. All
1: right, that makes sense. Uh, and then, when, if you were to guess, when the United States tips over, and we have less diesel trucks and more, uh, you know, battery and hydrogen trucks, what year will that happen?
0: Are you talking about being sold or actually on the road?
1: I'd say on the road in use. Yeah.
0: Okay, on the road, ten years. Sold, probably three.
1: Got it. So in three. Because it takes. It, yeah.
0: It takes. Usually, people buy three to six years in advance. So. Yeah, because of those lease cycles. So we're we're it's by the time everyone places all their orders, which are coming down the line right now. Uh, it's going to take six years to start to deliver that, and then I think you're going to see a, a majority coming out in, within within ten years, but sold within probably half that time. So we get years. to
1: the majority in ten, which means then the life cycle of the dirty trucks you said is like three four years because these things get beat to all hell, right?
0: They're usually seven years. They go through two leases, usually two leases of three years apiece. So in twenty um,
1: years, is it conceivable that we just won't have diesel trucks anymore?
0: You'll have some still, but I would say it's going to be damn hard to ever buy a diesel after. And within th- with three years from now, almost no fleets will ever touch a diesel again. Buying, I'm talking about buying buying new diesels. They'll they'll still use the existing ones that are in the market, but they'll never. I don't think you're going to ever see anyone ever touch a diesel after buying a diesel after the next three to five years.
1: Uh what are the chances that Tesla semi truck goes with swapping the battery packs? Cause I remember in the early days, uh, the Tesla showed the model S swapping the battery packs at stations. And that was potentially going to be a thing, but I think supercharging just took away the, the need for that. The idea was you would pull into your, you know, on the way to Tahoe, you just take your battery out, they put another battery in, it takes five minutes, and then you're back on the road instead of the 20-minute, 30-minute top-off experience that most of us have today um, or going to Vegas or whatever, but just seemed totally unnecessary. So, but with the, with the trucks, you know, if you have three of those, uh, you know, I, I don't think they want the truck stopping for an hour. So to swap out the three really quick, does that make sense? Or
0: Yeah, it's a big problem, actually. Here's the reason why. I, I If you take that, Tesla's battery cell cost right now at a buck 75, their, their total cost of a complete battery to do the range they talk about, their three to 500 mile range um, would be between 110 and $125,000 with the battery housing including. So you're, if for every truck you build, you're 125,000 on the battery. And then you have to have another 125,000 battery on the side, just waiting for it. That's never fully utilized. It's only utilized 25% of the day. So you have an, a, a resource that's only being utilized at 25% capacity that is waiting for a truck to come to it. And so instead of your cost being 160000 a truck, now your cost is 285 or $290,000 a truck. So it, it's a, we've already ran all the numbers. This is actually why I was explaining to people why you can't do battery buffering for, for semi-trucks on the grid because you're, for every truck you have that's a megawatt hour of energy, You've got to have a mega over a megawatt hour of energy and storage, which is going to be a you know you got to add another one hundred twenty thousand dollars onto that, and you've essentially you know now your truck is costing more than a hydrogen truck.
1: Uh, all right, well it's going to be an incredible uh, couple of years, and we'll be watching and hopefully have you on in exactly a year. Uh, I asked my team to uh, put a uh, or maybe actually cool. after the pickup truck we could talk a little bit. You know what? Uh, come right after Nikola
0: World. That'll be to, yeah. We, we ought to get you out to Nikola World. You ought to come to that event.
1: Where is that going to be? Arizona. Here in Phoenix, Arizona, and
0: it is going to be a rock star event. I promise you that you will not want to miss that.
1: All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Trevor Milton from Niccolo Motors. A lot of you have asked Adam on the pod, and, and here he is. He's on the pod. Uh, good luck with everything, and uh, appreciate it. Good success. Bad. Thank you. I love it all. Cheers. Bye.